want you to think for a minute. I'm guessing that probably most of us here today have probably been to D.C. at some time or the other. And I want you to think back to the very first time you went and you walked into the city and you saw the Washington Monument. The very first time you saw the Capitol building up there on the hill, maybe the, the Lincoln Memorial and all of those incredible sights um, in person, not just on television. I will never forget the very first time I took my son Alan. He was about four, maybe even a little bit younger to D.C. And and uh, the very first place we visited that day was the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, as we walked up the steps, I could still see his mouth drop wide open, his eyes get about that big as he saw Abraham Lincoln setting up there. He never really got over what he later called that giant man sitting in the big chair. It was, it was quite an experience. Of course, the rest of the things that he saw that day also impressed him, but he never got over old honest Abe. That might be a little bit of how the Apostle Paul felt when he walked in to Rome for the very first time. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open them up to the book of Acts, chapter number 28. And we set out today on what is the last leg of Paul's crippled journey to the empire's capital city. There's old Honest Abe setting up there. Um, But Paul finally gets to Rome. Seven or eight months ago, during his trial in Caesarea, Paul appealed to Caesar... That initiated the voyage across the Mediterranean Sea that encountered harsh winds, a ferocious storm, and ultimately the disastrous shipwreck that we saw two weeks ago. Last week, we watched as Paul ministered to a whole lot of sick people there on the island of Malta where they crash-landed. Ironically, the word Malta actually means refuge. And that's exactly what the island became for Paul and his friends during the next couple of brutal winter months. So to get them going again, we're going to read Acts 28, beginning in verse number 11. And if you're able, I invite you to stand as we share that together. Acts 28, beginning in verse number 11. Hear the word of the Lord. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship we had wintered in the island, that had wintered in the, in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached Puteoli. Keep your Bibles open this morning. God, anoint this word today, I pray in Jesus' name. Anoint our hearts and minds and ears and eyes and hearts to see it, to hear it. To act upon it. We invite you, Lord, to do your work in us. We ask in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. So, Paul and his buddies have spent the last three months on this island, this, this fairly small island there in the Mediterranean called Malta, and finally they're able to get going again. Probably by now it's late February or early March. By that time of the year, the western Mediterranean, at least, was suitable for some short voyages, which this one would certainly be. They got on another ship that actually was headquartered out of Alexandria, Egypt, down here, spent the winter on Malta, 
and was probably also carrying grain up to the capital city of Rome. Luke includes the fact that the figurehead of the ship featured the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, I would have shown you more than just their heads, but it would not have been appropriate. Okay? Let me just say, these two gods were the sons of Zeus. They were considered to be the patron deities of sailors and ships, and they thought that they would keep sailors and ships safe at sea. Well, they didn't do such a hot job a couple of months back, did they? (laughs) Isn't it interesting how we always go back again and again to the same old failed ways even when they cause us problems? And yet, that's exactly what many of the sailors and folks had done. I'm sure Paul used this as an opportunity to point out their lifeless inability to provide any help whatsoever and about how the real help came from his God when he saved them just a couple of months ago. Castor and Pollux. So they sailed the 100-mile stretch up to Syracuse. This is not the Syracuse in New York. This is the one that was the capital of Sicily at the time. It was known for its beauty. It had a population of about 250,000. They stayed there for three days before sailing on up about 70 miles to Regium. Regium was a common stopover as many different people traveled towards Rome. And uh, it is the ancient, uh, this is what it may have looked like at the time when they sailed into port. And Regium was the old name for the modern city of Reggio in Italy. When the following day offered them a perfect wind from the south, they sailed 200 miles on up to Puteoli. Puteoli was actually the main harbor for the city of Rome, even though it was about 100 miles south. Um, This is where most of the traffic came in until another harbor was built several years later. The grain and everything else would be offloaded here and then carried up overland up to the capital city. The city of Puteoli was on the northern uh, bay of Naples. The archaeology study Bible tells us the name came from the Latin word puturi, which is what we get our word putrid from. You know what putrid means, right? And apparently that's exactly what this place was. It stunk like sulfur because of the volcano cauldrons that were in the area. Now, nevertheless, it became quite a playground for the rich and famous from Rome who came down there. I don't know, somehow they must have put nose plugs in or something. But uh, the harbor had a massive breakwater that had 15 arches connected by uh, by these arches that the piers would, would um, support. And it was quite an engineering marvel of its time. Now, that's what the harbor of Petuli looks like today. And most of the old city is beneath the uh, modern city of Pozzuoli. Paul is gradually getting closer and closer to the epicenter of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. Look back at your scripture, verse number 14. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. 
When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So somehow the believers in Rome had gotten the word that Paul was on his way. And so they traveled down from Rome. They traveled down the south, went about 100 miles so that they could meet him. Now, we don't know exactly who these brothers were. If you read Romans chapter 16, however, there's a whole list of possibilities. Paul goes through a whole lot of contacts that he has there in the capital city. But Paul and Luke and Aristarchus would have traveled on the Appian Way as they made their way from the harbor up to Rome. This is a map of the Roman road system of the time. It's pretty impressive, is it not? Many of those roads actually still exist. This road system was built so that the Roman army could move from place to place in the Roman Empire fairly quickly to squelch any kind of an uprising. But these roads lasted. Here is one of them that Paul and his friends actually traveled on as they made their way northward. This is part of the Appian Way. And uh, they survived over 2,000 years, uh, Brother Tim, without interstate alerts. Okay, can you imagine that? The Forum of Appius is located about 43 miles south of Rome. It was noted at the time for its wickedness. They got off here and they began to make their way north. And this is uh, what the area might look like today, the surrounding area in that particular region. Ten miles further north, there was a place called the Three Taverns. The Greek word for tavern meant Something like a first century bed and breakfast where you could spend the night and then you could get some grub before you set out in the morning. The town of Three Taverns got its name because of three buildings that formed the core of what would become a much larger community. Interestingly enough, the remains of three small buildings have been found right there. Once again, Luke's accuracy as a historian is unparalleled. It is unmatched. He was incredibly accurate as he wrote down his information. Although Luke doesn't tell us this, they probably spent the night here at Three Taverns before their final, final jaunt up to Rome the next day. And so after many months, they arrived. Everybody say, finally. Finally, Paul's goal of visiting Rome is achieved. Although as a prisoner. Nevertheless, he was finally where he dreamed of being for so very, very long. Perhaps even ever since he was a little boy. And and hey, as a prisoner, he didn't even have to pay for it, did he? <laughs> The Roman Empire at the time was quite expansive. It stretched all the way from uh, Spain over here in the west, all the way over to Syria in the east. It stretched from Egypt down in the south, all the way up even into Great Britain in the north. And it was still expanding at the time. And so the city of Rome was not only the capital of the empire, the city of Rome was actually the capital of the world. It was the largest city on the Mediterranean of its time. It had over one million people. It was quite the place. And so as Paul entered Rome on the Appian Way, he would have seen many impressive sights like going into Washington, D.C. 
On their way, they passed through the Porta Capena, which you see here. One of the 16 gates that led into the city at that particular time. He would have passed right near the Aqua Claudia, one of the 11, uh, I'm sorry, one of the 14 different aqueducts that brought water into the city. This one, 11 stories tall. It was completed about 10 years before Paul got into the city. It was about 42 miles long, and look, it's still there 2,000 years later. They also would have passed a temple that was dedicated to Castor and Pollux, reminding them of the figurehead of the ship that they just got off of not long ago. And uh, today, only three columns of that temple still stand. After that, they came to the Roman army barracks, which are also still there, known today as the Castra Praetorian. And he probably would have also seen the Pantheon, which was a temple built to honor all the Roman gods. I would love to have seen the look on Paul's face as he walked into Rome for the first time. Seeing all of these sights and all the things that he had heard about probably throughout his lifetime. Was his mouth hanging open? Gawking at all of these things like Alan or or was his heart weeping because of the idolatry that he saw all over the place? Perhaps some of both as he entered the city. Verse number 17 Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And so we understand Paul is not in Rome to sightsee. Officially, he is there for his trial, but Paul knows his real reason is to share Jesus with everybody he possibly can. Amen? He doesn't waste a bit of time doing that. He immediately sets out, he finds the Jewish leaders and gets them together. It's the same pattern everywhere Paul went. He went to the Jews first. And he says he would write to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so Paul felt a burden for his own Jewish family. He gets these guys together and he briefly describes the false charges against him. He explains why he is literally chained to a Roman soldier. He says it is because the hope of Israel. Everybody say hope. When he said the hope of Israel... Every single person in that room that day would have known exactly what he meant. You see, all of the Jews were looking forward to the coming Messiah promised on every page of the Old Testament. They all hoped that he would come and soon. And Paul says 
He's the very reason that I'm a prisoner. He has come. And I'm here to tell you about him. Verse number 21, they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. None of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And so the first part of this is actually a very good thing. The Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem haven't said any bad things about Paul. They haven't thrown him under the bus and and reported that he is stirring up trouble back in Jerusalem. They haven't heard any of that. Nevertheless, they have heard about Christianity. And they have heard that it is being spoken against by both Jews and Gentiles. But they want to hear more about it. Boy, did they have the right man. (laughs) Paul had already written his outstanding treatise on Christianity that we know today is the book of Romans. He had sent that to Rome. The the Roman Christians would have been very familiar with it. It had been read probably many times in their meetings. They had shared it and preached on it and everything else. But these are not Roman Christians. These are, are Jews that are not yet believers. And so they probably don't even know a letter even exists, much less know what it says. They only know... That Christianity is being spoken against, as I said, by both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning until evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul giving a seminar? What a privilege to have been sitting there. Uh, His name probably didn't mean much to those people back then. But imagine if he was giving a seminar in in D.C. next week. (laughs) That, That thing would fill up within seconds online. We don't know where this meeting was held, but what a wonderful presentation that must have been. Harry Ironside said, quote, how I should like to have been sitting in an alcove listening to it all. I think it would have been better than any course in theology in any seminary just to hear the inspired apostle opening up the wonderful truths of God's way with men, particularly setting forth The mystery of the gospel. End of quote. What a privilege to have been there that day. To have heard Paul break it all down. All day long, it says, he declared to them the kingdom of God. He tried to convince them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. That he was the hope of Israel. And in order to do that, what did he use? It says he used the law of Moses and the prophets. What does that mean? That means he used everything from Genesis to Malachi. He used the entire Old Testament. All the scriptures that these men believed, that they revered, that they trusted, that they treasured. Paul says they all point to this man, Jesus. They're all about him. We can imagine Paul saying, look, here's the prophecy, here's the fulfillment. We can hear him reading from Genesis chapter 3 
about how the snake would be crushed one day by Eve's seed. And then him telling about Jesus doing exactly that. We can imagine him saying and sharing Micah 5 too, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the tribes of Israel, out of you will become a ruler whose origins are from old. And then Paul says, oh, by the way, did I tell you Jesus was born in Bethlehem? We can imagine him holding up Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. And then Paul telling them about the crucifixion that exactly fulfills every aspect of both of those passages. So on and so forth throughout the day. And you could hear him say, the parallels, my brothers, the parallels. Look at this. Jesus is obviously the fulfillment of all of this. Wouldn't you have liked to have been in that all-day Sunday school class? Oh, my lands, what a privilege. So how did they react? Look at verse number 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just like every single church service, every single Sunday, all across America, all across the world. Some are convinced, some are convicted, some believe, some are saved, some reject, some disbelieve, some are lost. Same gospel, same message, some respond, some reject. Anytime the gospel is preached, the same thing happens. I would remind us today that even Paul didn't win every single one of his listeners to Jesus Christ, did he? People even rejected Paul's message. People turned away from arguably the greatest gospel preacher of all time. How very sad. Verse number 25 describes their response. They disagreed among themselves. They began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Everybody say, ouch. You got calloused hearts, Paul says. You know what a callus is, right? I don't know that they're that common anymore. (laughs) Back in the day, we got calluses throwing hay bales. You get calluses from digging with the shovel and working the hoe and everything else. You get calluses from driving. And and so calluses build up. Makes it tough and hard. And Paul says, you got calluses on your heart. He's quoting Isaiah who said it many years before. and, And you won't let the truth in. He says, you got cataracts on your eyes. You, you, you could see a little bit, but, but you can't make out what you're seeing. He says, open your eyes. He says, your ears. He says, your heart of hearing. You, you, you won't listen to the truth. 
My friends, these people had the truth so perfectly laid out before them. By the greatest apostle of all time. And they completely were unaffected by it. They ignored it. They rejected it. They disbelieved it. Tragically, those men walked away from the only thing that could save them. They walked away from the only one who could ultimately deliver them from death to life. From hell to heaven. Oh, hear Paul. How God longs to heal you, he says. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to save you. But they rejected him. When they rejected his son. I want you to know today that not only did Paul quote this scripture from Isaiah. If it sounds familiar, Jesus did too. And in fact, every single one of the gospel writers record it. That's not true of everything Jesus said. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this passage from Isaiah. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. You'll be ever hearing, but not understanding. you got calluses on your hearts. So why was it that these people did not accept Jesus? I mean, it was, tr- it was plain. It was right. There. Maybe because their leaders back in Jerusalem rejected Jesus. And they foolishly followed those leaders. My brothers and sisters, let us be careful who we follow. Maybe it was because although they claimed to believe all of those prophecies in the Old Testament, somehow they didn't think they would happen during their lifetime. Maybe. I I don't know. Can God do something right now? Amen. And he is. Perhaps because Jesus didn't lead a military revolt against Rome and set up some kind of a political kingdom. I I don't know. I wish I could tell you this morning why they turned away. I just know that they rejected not only the hope of Israel, they rejected the only hope. Hope for all the world. They rejected the only hope for you and I. Oh my friends. May we not be guilty of that as well. God longs to heal us. Just like he longed to heal them. He longs to restore you. Just like he restored them. Do not turn away. Maybe we're sitting here today, we've heard the gospel, maybe many times, maybe we've even shared the gospel or preached the gospel, but we ourselves have rejected it. Oh, my dear friend, for God's sake, for your sake, do so no longer. Receive it. Accept it. Live into it. May we open our ears May we open our eyes. May we get those calluses off and open our hearts. Peel off what may have built up. Do not turn away. He is the only hope for you. So many people today reject Jesus. Even though the evidence could not be more plain, more obvious, more straightforward. 
I would also remind you today that God's prophecies still hold true. There were some prophecies, some that Jesus made himself that have yet to be fulfilled. They will be. Amen? They will be. Is it possible that some of them may even be being fulfilled before our very eyes? Oh, I believe it is. Is it possible that it may happen differently than the way we always understood? Yes, that's possible too. Let us beware of what God is doing. Be aware, be informed of what he is up to and prepare ourselves for Jesus' certain and soon and sudden return. Let's be ready. These Jews were not ready when Jesus came the first time. They rejected what he had to say. May we not do the same. And so, while Paul might have been awed by all the sights in Rome, they didn't distract him from his mission of lifting up Jesus. While old honest Abe might be sitting in a pretty big chair, the hope of Israel, Jesus Christ is seated in an even bigger one at the right hand of God forevermore. Amen? And Paul never lost sight of him. He encouraged others not only to look to him, but to worship him, to honor him, and to receive him as their Lord and their Savior. My dear friend, if you never have, do that today while we pray right now. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for your faithful servant, Paul. I thank you, Lord, for his, his faith, even in chains, to share the gospel in spite of the threats, in spite of rejection, in spite of everything else, that he was faithful to share Jesus. God, may we do the same. Father, I pray this morning for those who may be here or watching online that may have eyes to see but yet do not perceive the gospel, who may have ears to hear, but do not understand, that may have hearts to receive, but those hearts are calloused. Maybe it's a callous that's been built up because of a tough time in life. People that didn't, didn't treat them right, maybe abused them and said nasty and bad things about them, did that bad things to them and maybe losses that they've experienced along the way, calluses have built up. God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would take your heavenly scalpel and peel back those calluses, just cut them away. That the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ might penetrate, that their heart might be changed by the love of Jesus this morning. God, I pray that you would remove the cataracts from our eyes. Remove the impediments from our ears that we might hear, that we might see. Help us, oh God, to turn not away, but turn toward. As we continue to pray here today, dear friend, if you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Oh, my friend, open your ears and eyes and heart today and welcome him in. He's not only the hope of Israel, he's your hope. He's your eternal hope. Forgiving all sin. Restoring that which others have taken. 
presenting you faultless before his presence and glory. And so confess whatever sin you have, asking to save your soul through the blood of Jesus. And he'll gladly do that right now. Friend, if you're here today and you've believed and you've trusted, you've accepted the gospel, but you need to share it with somebody else like Paul endeavored to do, then I pray that you would lift up those individuals that are on your heart and soul right now, even now, names and faces of loved ones that come to your mind that need to know Jesus. Invite the Holy Spirit to help you know how to reach out and then to take that step and do it. God, open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts, we pray. For we ask it in that blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ and everyone said.